Hi, I'm Bethan. And I'm Mark. And welcome to Seeing Red. A UK true crime podcast. Oh, thank you. Love that. Thank you very much for joining us again. This is the second part of the episodes which are entitled The Manchester Canal Pusher, Fact or Fiction. Thank you and a big welcome to our new patrons. We have Alex Blackburn and Vicky. Thank you so much to both of you. Have you, you sent merchandise yet? I have, yes. It Excellent. should be with them by the time they hear this episode. That's good to hear. And mm-hmm. if you want to come and join the party on Patreon, then you can find us at patreon.com forward slash seeing red podcast. If you want to join in any discussions or come and see us and chat to us on social media, you can search for us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Seeing Red, a UK true crime podcast. Right then, so let's begin. So as I mentioned last week, these episodes may be episodes that just include cases that are similar but not linked, or they may be episodes about a serial attacker that has been stalking the canal parts of Manchester over recent years. You don't specifically need to have listened to the first episode, but it may give you some background to what we'll be discussing this week, as I don't want to start repeating myself too much. So last week we talked about three young men who lost their lives and some of the background to where the idea of the Manchester Canal Pusher had come from. And then this week we're going to look at a couple more cases, the reaction to the rumours from the police and what's being done to try and protect people more. And we also ran a discussion thread on our Facebook page, so we'll be discussing some of your listener thoughts and theories at the end. So at the end of the last episode, we did talk about the unnamed cyclist who was savagely knocked off his bike into the canal. And his attacker didn't stop there. When he attempted to climb out of the canal, his hands were brutally kicked so he would fall back into the water. But Andy Sutcliffe, Greater Manchester's police chief's inspector, told the newspaper at the time, I understand, given the circumstances of this report, that people will be alarmed. But I need to stress that there is no evidence to suggest that this is linked to any other incidents and we've had no further reports. Channel 4 has run a documentary titled Manchester's Serial Killer and a few people have actually referenced that documentary on Facebook when they've been talking about the case. Retired senior detective Tony Blockley appeared on the show and examined evidence purporting to support the allegation that the same person may well be responsible for a catalogue of killings. His probe focused on the deaths of three men, Suvik Pal, 18, David Plunkett, age 21, and Nathan Tomlinson, also age 21. We did discuss David and his terrified phone call to his parents in last week's episode. So to begin today's episode, we will start with another quote from Professor Jackson. He said, What is important is to recognise the very real concerns of dozens of individuals who have this week contacted me to give details about some of the deaths involved, including relatives of some of the deceased and the genuinely alarming number of bodies found. It is unlikely that such a high number of cases are the result of just accidents or suicides, as canals are not popular suicide spots, especially for men. It is also worthy of further consideration that canals are popular sites for the disposal of bodies, a factor which inevitably invites speculation, unwarranted or otherwise. Greater Manchester Police has established the cause of death in some of the 61 cases, and in many others the coroner may have determined that foul play was unlikely. My role will be to emphasise the use of new techniques that can help in understanding criminal behaviour, such as geographical profiling and the other elements of investigative psychology which might prove useful in helping Greater Manchester Police to better understand what has happened and give reassurance to anyone in Manchester with notable concerns. That was a long quote, I do apologise. Yeah. But I thought what I thought was interesting is he is the person who's kind of come out and said that he feels like this needs to be looked into, but he's still trying to be unbiased around it and just say they just need to investigate more. He's not specifically saying there is a serial killer. Yeah, he's not really Mm sensationalising what's happened. He's just sort of saying, yeah, this is a bit weird. It needs to be looked into properly. Then we can kind of make judgments on it. But until we're armed with that evidence, what's the point of speculating? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Suvik Pal was aged 18 and he died after a New Year's Eve night out in 2012. He was last seen wearing a pale denim long sleeve shirt with a collar, grey chino trousers and navy blue leather boots, leaving a party at the Warehouse Project nightclub. He was actually kicked out of the club for behaving aggressively and because the staff believed he'd been taking drugs. CCTV footage at about 2300 hours showed Suvik and a man who has not been identified walking away from the club together, crossing a bridge over the canal. At one point, one of them attempted to climb the railings of the bridge, and later CCTV footage shows just one of the pair returning. 
Suvik was then reported missing by his flatmate at 5.30am on January the 1st. Santanu Pal, who travelled to the UK from India after being told of his son's disappearance, said that it was a very difficult time for his family and that he would stay in Britain until his son was found. He also said, I would like to directly appeal to anyone who has any clues that can help the police search for Suvik to call the police. He also said that it had been a very difficult time for our family back in India, including Suvik's younger brother, who views him as a role model. The search included divers checking the canal, and as the days turned into weeks, Detective Chief Inspector Colin Larkin said police were becoming more concerned for Suvik's welfare. He also said that the force had had a good response from our appeal and continued to work with organisers from the warehouse project. The police appealed for the mystery man that had been seen on the CCTV to come forwards, but he didn't come forward and the police chose not to release that grainy footage to the public. Suvik's body was found in the Bridgewater Canal, just 50 foot from the club near the Old Trafford Football Stadium on January 22nd. The inquest into his death heard that Mr. Powell was, quote, a very popular young man who had begun drinking alcohol and taking drugs after he started university. His friend Charlotte Wilson said that she was worried about him going into the nightclub with her and her other friends because he'd never been clubbing before he'd come to the UK from India. She said, it's such a large intimidating venue because it's very busy, but he was very enthusiastic about it. All three friends who gave evidence said that Suvik had drank alcohol and taken ecstasy in the hours before they went into the club during pre-drinks at their digs and then going off out. One friend described how Suvik had researched in advance how to conceal drugs from the club's sniffer dogs, hiding them in his clothing so that he could take more ecstasy inside. After he became separated from his friends, he was thrown out for charging at a member of security staff in an attempt to get past the one-way system. The post-mortem examination showed that he had no injuries and the cause of his death was given as drowning. The inquest heard that it was still a mystery how and when he went into the water and where. Mr Powell's parents attended the hearing at Trafford Coroner's Court where they thanked their son's friends and the police for the efforts they had made to find him. Recording an open verdict, the coroner told them it was testament to their son that so many of his friends were in court to give evidence. And a memorial was created for Suvik at All Saints Park in Manchester. It is a beautiful plaque in amongst some greenery that you can see online. The family and friends of Suvik Powell have said that whilst they're not sure about serial killer and don't want to jump to the conclusion that he was murdered, they are certain that there is someone out there who knows something. Gemma Hale, a friend who speaks on behalf of the family, said, It took 22 days to find Suvik and he was just 50 metres away from the club we were in. For his family and friends, it has been really difficult to live, not knowing what happened to him. Hopefully, if we can raise some more awareness about the deaths, the police will be forced to reopen some of the cases. And I think that was your key point, is 22 days. Mm, It's a long time when, Mm -hmm. you know, the body was essentially found just a few metres up from where the club was, I mean, from where he was 50, last known to be alive. 50 metres. That's not a lot, though, is it? It's not. It's one twentieth of a kilometre. Oh. You do the math. Don't. You know you I just hate did. that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> Takes me back to our work days. None of these people will understand what we're this going This is a private joke, yeah. Charlie Pope was a 19-year-old student who went missing after a night out in March 2018. He had gone out on the Thursday night and was last seen leaving the zombie shack at around 2.30am on Friday morning. The last sighting of Charlie was just before 5am, but when he was not home as planned, he was reported as a missing person and the police released photos and requests for information from the public. His family were especially worried due to the fact that the weather was particularly cold and harsh at this point and he was last seen just wearing a light jacket. Sadly, following an underwater search in the canal, A body was found on Friday afternoon and it was soon identified as Charlie. His parents travelled across to Manchester and while they were there, they actually asked the police to show them the area in which Charlie had been found. They were shocked by how dangerous it looked and how there were very few safety barriers. There was nothing really for public safety. In one article, his dad was quoted as saying, Look around here, it's just a bloody death trap. 
whilst gesturing to people drinking outside at tables just metres from the water's edge. That is really true. I mean, I've, I've been to Manchester once. I never went near the canal, but mm. um, not because I thought it's too dangerous. I can't go near it. I just never went there. But mm. in Birmingham, they've got a massive canal network. And yeah, I always think that. it's um, There's no railings. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like that. And it can be quite deep water. And you've got pubs, bars, restaurants all along the canal, all around the canal. People are quite drunk, walking home. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of like accident waiting to happen. Yeah, I was walking along um, the side of the Thames and obviously that's that's massive, but there's still those like bits where you can go down if you want yeah. to. And there were these two guys and like they were messing around and they were obviously day drinking and just drunk in the afternoon. And one of them then like lost his shoe and was like trying to scrabble for it before it went in the water. And, like, that's not too bad there because there are railings, but it's still very easy to accidentally fall and hurt yourself. Charlie, who hoped to be a lawyer, was in his first year of studies and he had grand plans to live in America at some point in the future. He has been described as a young man who lived life to the full and that he would light up a room. His parents seem to have taken some comfort in the fact that he spent his last year on Earth doing amazing things. So he interrailed around Europe with his friends, he went to Rome with his girlfriend, he went to festivals and gigs, and he also got into the university that was described as his dream. When he got his results the week before his death, he was pleased to have achieved a 2-1, which had set him up really well to continue with those plans for the future. And I thought that was really bittersweet because his parents are really taking comfort in that, but it's also horrifically sad. This is one of the cases linked together in the series where I don't think there's much to lead us to believe that there's a serial killer. Charlie was on a night out drinking. The canal area in which he was found is pretty dangerous looking in the daytime, let alone at night in the cold and in the dark. He was probably pretty drunk. The fact that he was last seen a few hours after he'd even left the club with his friends. His family have also not publicly called for a serial killer investigation. Their um, campaign, and they have campaigned tirelessly, is for better public safety around the area and more barriers. So that really says that they Mm -hmm. believe he's kind of fallen in. Yeah. And you do see, you do hear about lots of young men um, having gone out, drinking, in the early hours of the morning, falling into rivers Mm -hmm. and canals, as we've seen here. Yeah. And I wonder if it's because they've gone to, like, take a leak by the canal oh and they've lost God, their balance and I literally in. put that later on. Yeah, because it, it's very yeah. rare that you find young women. Well, women wouldn't do that. No. So that is more likely that a so man I, would go do that. Yeah, I mm-hmm. do wonder if, you know, and I, I, I've got my own opinion on all of this, which mm. we'll come on to, but I do think with some of these cases, it is purely an accident. Yeah. And I think as well, when you look at the area in which, for example, Charlie Pope was found, it is an accident waiting to happen. It is dangerous. We'll try and get some links on social media mm, or we'll try and put yeah. some photos up as well. Because I think if certainly if you're not from the UK, you might not be familiar yeah, that's a good with shout. the canal network and exactly how dangerous they can be. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll try and get some stuff posted up. So have a look out for that. Definitely. So the family's online campaign calling for barriers along Manchester's canals racked up more than 35,000 signatures in a matter of days after being set up. And Charlie's dad, Nick Pope, said that his son would be proud of the work that they were doing. He told the press, Nothing will ever bring him back and nothing will ever get rid of the pain. But if we can make Charlie the last, it goes a long way to bringing a little good out of this. He was that kind of kid. He would take on issues like a dog with a bone and he would be proud of what we were doing. The family also started a hashtag, which was hashtag make Charlie the last with the ambition of bringing about change to improve safety along the city's waterways. And an emergency meeting was held that included emergency services, the Canal Trust, Manchester Council and the Rochdale Canal Company, as well as Charlie's dad and perhaps more of his family, but his dad's always the one that's mentioned in the sort of papers. Nick Pope also said, I don't know what form this change will be. It might be something different to barriers like CCTV, canal wardens or a combination of all these things to keep people safe. We as a family have got heavily involved to try and get people on board and prove we can make a difference. I think he's raised a really good point. So it doesn't have to just be barriers Mm -hmm. preventing people from falling in. It could be CCTV, people patrolling the canals, but it could also just be like education. So going Mm -hmm. into schools and saying, actually, this canal network can be really dangerous if you've been out drinking. So they could put posters up. I know it's common sense, a lot of people might think, but... 
you know, you'd be surprised mm-hmm. the amount of common sense that disappears out the window when you've had a few drinks. So, yeah. so yeah, I think, you know, if they've been able to achieve any of that, they've done a, an amazing job. Mm-hmm. And that's a great legacy to their son in, in his memory. And I think the CCTV is a really key point because with so many of these cases, we don't know what happened to that person because there is no CCTV evidence. We see them hours before on something or there's grainy footage. And if there is a serial killer at large, that could be one of the main reasons why they've not been caught because there's no footage of them ha- this happening and they perhaps know and can play to that strength of theirs that they know there's no CCTV. I'm, I'm just kind of like, them. I'm smirking to myself here because I'm just thinking of all the other stuff they would see when mm-hmm. they reviewed that CCTV. I know, oh my God. Because I had an old ah! friend who I won't name no. that um, went on a date with a mm-hmm. guy and then had sex <gasps> under a bridge on, on the canals yeah. in Birmingham. So oh my God, they're lucky they didn't fall in mid-doing yeah, it. <laughs> hopefully she's not listening to this. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, you would see some absolute sights, even if it is, like you said, just someone having a wee. You're going to yeah. get that on CCTV. Drug dealing, all sorts of stuff. I mean, yeah, they would catch a lot of criminals as well. Yeah, mm. yeah. Could have a multifaceted sort of reason for doing all this. Yeah, I'm loving it. Mm. Sadly, though... Um, after you know the hashtag make Charlie the last and mm. that sort of thing Charlie was not the last and just months later there was another death in the same area Orlando Nero, a teenager from Bolton was on a night out in Manchester on Saturday June the 2nd celebrating his 19th birthday with his brother and two friends at 3.30am on Sunday the 3rd of June the group returned to the Jury's Inn Hotel on Great Bridgewater Street together but then Orlando left the hotel alone He was not seen by his friends again and was reported missing at 10.50am that day when he didn't return. Police began searching for him and sadly just before 2.50 on Tuesday the 5th of June, a body was found in the Rochdale Canal off Whitworth Street and soon the police were able to confirm that this was the body of missing Orlando. A Greater Manchester Police spokesperson said, Police searching for a missing man have found a body. Shortly before 2.50pm, police were called to Whitworth Street West in Manchester City Centre to reports that a body had been found in a canal. Officers attended and found the body of a man. Although formal identification is yet to take place, it is believed that this is the body of 19-year-old Orlando Nero. There are believed to be no suspicious circumstances surrounding the death and his family are being provided with support from officers at this time. So there's not really much to kind of find out about this case. And it's um, one that feels um, to people who've kind of discussed it as well on social media with me, that it feels like it's something where they're just like, we want more answers. We want more information. The community raised about, well, just over £6,000 in memory of Orlando. And they linked him with other victims of the canals across the years. The money raised paid for Orlando's funeral initially. And Reverend Thandika Sibanda from the Kearsley Mount Methodist Church said that Orlando had a perfect heart and his family had been left speechless. She said, a good send-off is the least we could do for our son. She then confirmed that all donations and money left over would actually be used for a multi-faith memorial service for Orlando and the other 85 victims whose bodies had been found in the region's canals over the recent years. That's lovely. Mm Mm-hmm. I wonder if he was, I mean, you would hope that things like phone records would be looked at, Mm. but he'd gone back to the hotel, hadn't he, with his friends after a night out, and then in the early hours of the morning, he's then gone back out. So, uh, you know, he must have been going to meet somebody, and we can only speculate as to, you know, what the circumstances would be, whether that was like a hookup or, yeah... Like, because you mentioned before about, like, drug deals going on, it could be something like that. But I also think, and again, we'll come on to the theories behind it, but um, whether it's, you know, these people are gay or not, it reminds me a lot of the Stephen mm-hmm. Paul situation yeah. where he's luring. I can never say that damn word. You do say it weird. But he's luring, luring, luring um, <laughs> young men mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, his flat to then, uh, you know, have sex with them, drug them and kill them ultimately. And I do wonder, is there an almost like a Stephen Paul operating in Manchester? And I think that's the other thing, like Suvik was seen leaving with an unnamed man who has not come forward this is something that does come up a few times in some of some people's interests in it is that um you are less likely to find a straight guy going out into somewhere a 
bit dark and dangerous to find someone because it's a lot more socially acceptable so he would go find a girl in a club and that would kind of be that whereas it might be that these young especially younger men may be a bit more nervous about meeting somebody or hooking up with someone that they try and do it in more of a private way could be yeah yeah and manchester does have a really thriving mm-hmm. gay community yeah. so yeah i just sort of wonder is that at the heart of it yeah it's definitely a theory that a lot of people have put forward um whether for a serial killer as in this is someone like stephen port who is luring his victims See, you can't say i said it's funny because i was oh, saying okay. it like I'll you. Let you off. or whether it is just bad luck that when you're putting yourself in a situation you perhaps are then putting yourself at more risk than someone else and i mean that's not to say that you know straight people aren't as promiscuous as gay people but yeah the circumstances Mm -hmm. might vary around where they might hook up where they might engage in sexual activity i think so and i think that women are less likely to go and meet someone that they're going to hook up with in a dark canal area that like for women in general yeah you are told you meet someone in a light in a well lit place. You don't get in a car with a street like there's so much. Whereas I think yeah, men I think do feel that, a bit more invincible. Yeah, we have that. You know that gender stereotype mm. is true. Yeah, men would feel more safe mm-hmm. in that environment than women would. So yeah, um, yeah, it does does make me question it. Yeah. Orlando's death was not recorded as anything suspicious, but as he was found just yards from where Charlie Pope had died earlier that same year, the cases became linked in the papers and also by Charlie's dad, Nick. Speaking as the news of Orlando's death was confirmed, he said to the press, Obviously, our heartfelt sympathy goes to this poor young man's family. Clearly, I know exactly what they are going through. It makes me feel more and more annoyed that nothing has been done. They told us nothing could be done because canal deaths are so rare. But here we have two within three months. In a modern city in the 21st century, this should not be allowed to continue. And the local authorities did agree. And an emergency meeting of the Manchester Water Safety Partnership was held. Another emergency meeting. But this time they did actually announce some key changes. So they were going to introduce new measures at key points where bars are located, which were near to locks 89 and 90. Means nothing to me, but For I thought... For any canal geeks out there. Yeah, or Manchester listeners. Yeah. Um, locks 89 and 90. Interim grading... You don't need to say it twice. It wasn't that interesting. Oh. You'll be saying, you won't be saying that when someone uses that knowledge to know where the safe place <laughs> is when they're on a drinking... Okay, I'll let you Yeah. Interim gating was put in place to stop people accessing the canal towpath after 10pm at key points as well. Wow. Yeah, so I thought that was really sensible. Charlie and Orlando both died just last year, which is perhaps why the possibility of the pusher is still the forefront of people's minds currently. The third man discussed by Detective Tony Blockley in the Channel 4 documentary was Nathan Tomlinson. Nathan was a 21-year-old trainee sports teacher from Stockport who disappeared after an office Christmas night out in 2010. The weather was incredibly wintry at this point and Nathan had begun to walk home as heavy snow was falling. Earlier on, he had texted his family saying he was pacing himself and was drinking shandy. So this was clearly something that his family wanted told to the sort of public or to the press. He wasn't necessarily drunk. Mm. I think that's quite an interesting point to make. Nathan's final movements were pieced together by CCTV. Nathan left the Mitra bar, which was the final time his friends saw him. He was slapped across the face by an unknown woman. And I say unknown because she has never been traced and the police have not managed to identify her. Had they had some sort of altercation? Nobody knows anything. She slapped him across the face is what you see on the CCTV. And to be honest, that, you know, you see all sorts of random things on a night Mm -hmm. out. She could have, well, just seen him walk past and just whacked him one just because why Mm -hmm. not? People do stupid stuff when they're drunk. So that probably has nothing to do with it. Maybe doesn't. Maybe maybe does. does, It's a really interesting thing that she hasn't come forward. But then she probably doesn't remember doing it. Well, yeah. After he left the pub, he jumped over a wall near the cathedral before he headed along Victoria Street. Nathan then walked along a new footpath next to the River Irwell and into central Salford. Walking along Key Street and Chapel Street, he briefly spoke to a bus driver to apparently ask for directions. And the bus driver told Nathan, who kind of stepped into the bus to talk to him, to go to Piccadilly Station and get a train. And it seems from sort of the mobile usage that he had that night that he actually attempted to use Google Maps on his mobile phone as well. Um, 
I don't know any more than why it was just attempted. The final CCTV sighting of Nathan showed him running through the snow across the Adelphi footbridge near Linen Court off Silk Street, which I quite enjoyed that they were like Linen Court and Silk and Street. Silk, yeah. yeah. Don't know why. I, I think they're it. linked. Yeah. I think it's an important you're link. You're correct. Oh. They're linked to each other. Nothing yeah. to do with the case. Okay. After crossing the bridge, he turned left, and this is the point where he's gone out of camera view and is never seen again. Nathan's mum, Tina Tomlinson, reported Nathan as a missing person in the early hours of December the 19th. A police officer told her he's probably snuggled up to a nice young woman, which, whilst we know his fate may sound cruel or a bit harsh, is really not that unlikely and kind of a fair point. Mm. He's a 21-year-old lad who's gone out on a night out. At Christmas time. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But it's not very professional, is it, for an officer to say No, that? I mean, we don't know the but context. But then he's probably trying to, like, calm he her down, He might have tried I to guess. calm her, yeah. yeah. But Nathan didn't return home. And two months later, after a passerby spotted something in the water, his body was pulled from the water near the Adelphi Bridge. And this was around the 11th of February. Frustratingly, CCTV from the old Pint Pop pub that was a word to say, on Adelphi Street, Salford, near to where Nathan was found, was never viewed. And it's one of the things that his family have said, there's holes in this investigation. That's maddening for Mm -hmm. them. Detective Chief Inspector Peter Giles of Greater Manchester Police said to the press that this was a tragic case of a young man with a bright future going missing. He said that the police believed that Nathan had got lost trying to make his way home. The police had exhausted all their opportunity for investigating Nathan's last movements and they were reliant on the public coming forward with information, if anyone had any. But sadly, Nathan's disappearance was rather overshadowed by the murder of Joe Yates. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. wondered if it was around this time because when you said... Um, heavy snowfall around Christmas. Yeah. I couldn't remember if Joe Yates was like 2010, 2009, but yeah. I did wonder if it was the same year. So it obviously was. was, yeah. So that was all happening in Bristol and her sort of um, case actually just took the hearts of the public a little bit more than his had. And Detective Chief Inspector Giles also said... Unfortunately, due to the time of year and other events in the news, Nathan's disappearance may not have attracted the attention we were expecting it to. And I thought that was quite interesting because that woman may have been there on a night out and doesn't live in the area. And if it's not getting national press, she may not have even known that they were looking for her. The woman who slapped him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it does seem very strange that they didn't check certain CCTV and But then I think you could you could literally look at any police investigation into anything mm. and they are only human so then yeah. they're always going to mess something up or miss something yeah. they're not perfect Yeah Nathan's inquest as we have seen in many other cases did not reveal a definitive answer Pathologist Naomi Carter said that Nathan probably drowned but it was uncertain how he ended up in the river or if he had died beforehand And Coroner John Pollard praised some elements of the police work from the investigation, but added, in this case, they were rather slow off the mark. He then pledged to write to Chief Constable Peter Fahey with his concerns, but Mr Pollard acknowledged that lack of police activity had had no bearing on Nathan's death. Speaking after the inquest, Nathan's family said circumstances surrounding his disappearance on December 17th, 2010, still needed to be explored. His mum found a bus ticket thought to belong to him after searching near where he disappeared. She handed it over to the police, but it was never fingerprinted. She said there were a lot of flaws in the investigation and the police were slow at the start. A lot of the work they did we had already done, like phoning around his friends. Nathan disappeared 13 months ago and we are still hitting a brick wall. If I had my way, the police would go back and look at these things. Whilst the police have closed the case and are not treating Nathan's death as suspicious, his mum Tina does suspect it was someone else and she said, I have always thought Nathan's death was suspicious. So that brings me to the end of the cases that I wanted to share with you. Some more suspicious than others, but all really sad tales of young men dying in similar circumstances in the same area of the country. And I thought now we could look at some of the responses to the rumours and some of the other reasons why this might be happening. I think we may have touched on a few of these, so hopefully not repeating ourselves. Something we haven't really looked at and haven't really thought about is whether any of the deaths were suicides. With Chris back in episode one of the two, um, 
his dad had been asked that he had he taken antidepressants like four years earlier or something crazy like that but apart from that one offhand comment where his dad said that's ridiculous there's nothing to do with it and we completely agree none of these cases seem like people who would purposefully kill themselves i mean Um, young men you know particularly sort of like early 20s the age bracket that we've seen here quite often they are susceptible to it mm -hmm. to commit suicide but i just think what it's just a bit of a non-recognized way of doing that yeah it's a weird way to do canal and try Mm -hmm. and drown yourself there are other ways that people tend to commit suicide so i i don't i just don't buy that that's it that canals in general are not popular suicide no no and the sort of areas that a lot of these cases happened in aren't the really wide bits of the canal, which are very, very deep. Yeah. They're in more public sort of areas. It also isn't really a theory that people in general have kind of brought up when talking about the cases. The families and the police haven't really ever mentioned that. So I'm happy to kind of discount that. Yeah, I think it's theory. valid to mention it. I think it is. But I think, yeah, it's one that we can pretty mm-hmm. much discount. So canals aren't normally suicide spots and especially not for men but they are however popular dumping sites and water can be quite a sure way to erase dna evidence suffolk strangler steve wright dumped some of his prostitute victims in water so traces of him would be washed away if you want to know any more about that case andy at the no remorse podcast has done a really great multi-part episode sort of case study on him which was really good In the Channel 4 documentary, Professor Jackson said, Having looked at the data, I simply can't discount the possibility of foul play. I certainly don't believe that these were suicides because canals are not popular suicide spots. Statistically speaking, the number of bodies is much, much higher than you would expect of one waterway. And a lot of the forensic investigations and coroner's reports on these deaths were inconclusive. Professor Jackson has also been quoted as saying that the number of bodies recovered, nearly one a month, is much higher than for similar cities. So London, Nottingham or Birmingham, for example. That's interesting because last week Mm -hmm. we did wonder, didn't we? We were kind of like, how does this compare to other cities with a quite big canal network? I mean, hold that thought, though, because there is something else that I learned. So it's there's a lot of contrasting evidence. I mean... London, Nottingham, Birmingham are really good examples because they have clubs and bars along the stretch of water. So they are really interesting sort of examples there. Professor David Wilson, a criminologist at Birmingham University, has said 61 deaths is a staggeringly high number to simply put down to chance. The police hate the suggestion that there may be a serial killer. They look wrong footed or slow to act. Research has shown that there are between three and five serial killers operating in Britain at any one time. And though they are rare, these sorts of mass murders are not unheard of. And the connections are usually made after things are too late. It's very unlikely, for example, Jana Dennehy that we talked about. She did it all in one go. She was such a spree killer that she was going to get caught up too straight away because everyone could see her doing it and watch her go down the road a bit further. Generally, though serial killers will have that time to regroup and reassess in between and that's why the connections aren't made until later but on the other hand retired ex-detective chief superintendent tony blockley told channel 4 in the documentary if a serial killer decided to try to cause their deaths by pushing them into the water how could that person guarantee that they would die in which case survivors would have come forward also none of the individuals have marks on their bodies which are consistent with a violent attack which one would expect to see In the three cases I have looked at, I don't feel that there is a serial killer involved. This I found quite interesting because obviously the the documentary was a few years ago and since then we've had the case of that cyclist really recently and Stephen's family were convinced that some of his wounds were from a beating. But I I don't even necessarily think that they would have all been beaten up beforehand. No. It could just be... Or not even, they might not have even been violently pushed into the canal. It could be they're walking along and serial killer comes along and just gently pushes them. If they've mm-hmm. had a few drinks, they're going to go in. Yeah. And maybe this is somebody that just gets off on humiliating people mm-hmm. and pushing them into the canal. And almost it's secondary whether they live or die. Um, maybe they get a kick out of reading in the news later that mm. the body's been pulled out and that, that could have been one of their victims. But it could be, could be purely done to humiliate somebody yeah. and just a gentle push in. So some people that do survive might then not come forward because they think, 
you know, I'm, I'm the victim of an assault technically mm. and, that, you know, but really it wasn't that bad and I managed to drag myself out and it was just yeah. somebody having a bit of a laugh and not going to report it to the police. That's a really interesting point. Tony Blackley had continued, but that doesn't mean to say that the three deaths I've looked at aren't a crime. It could be somebody has been mugged and pushed into the water or was trying to escape. Um, to categorically say that there is a serial killer, we would need to look at all the cases involved to look at the similarities and the differences. Unless the police can prove there isn't a serial killer, every time a body is found or turns up, the rumours and speculation will continue. And I think that's a good point as well. Um, until you can prove for definite there's no serial killer, people are always going to think there could be. He also referenced the fact that they were all men, saying if this was a section of motorway and one person was being killed every month, it would be declared an accident black spot. I do think that there has been a lack of action, whether these are accidents or suicides or something more ominous or a combination of all three. There needs to be increased police presence, more CCTV and perhaps a public safety campaign. And do we think if all of these victims have been young women that this would be treated differently and viewed differently. I think so. I do. Yeah, Yeah. completely. Yeah. The point that this is all men, though, has been debunked a bit due to a study that was done in Amsterdam, which was what I was kind of referring to before about other cities. So this is a city where canals run right the way through the centre, and the study's lead author, forensic doctor Guido Reinen, says that most of those who drown are young men there as well. He said that is not specific to Amsterdam, it's something specific to men. In all kinds of accidents, men are always overrepresented. Men are more likely to be risk takers, more likely to walk home alone at night, and I think that is really true. And I was going to say that men will take more risks mm-hmm. than women. So Absolutely. Yeah, is that what we're seeing here? Mm-hmm. As a result, Amsterdam's police and fire services are now deploying their resources to what Dr. Reinens calls hot times and hot spots when drownings are more likely. The city is also installing ladders and other safety infrastructure to the canals themselves. See, even that's a great idea to yeah. just have ladders. Because then you can climb out. Yeah, because most wouldn't have anything like that at no. all. And I think the when you're trying to... Well, I've never fallen in a canal, but I imagine when you're trying to claw your, your way out of it... It is slippy on the side mm-hmm. and it's hard to heave yourself out. And quite often they have a curved brick yep. at the edge. So it's probably quite hard to get And a you're brick. sopping wet. Yeah. So you're going to be heavier. And probably in shock yep. if it's really cold. If somebody has kind of pushed you in. Mm-hmm. Or even if you just had an accident, you can yeah. be in quite a big bit of shock then. And like, it's really, you think it's probably going to be easier. But when I was on a Hindu recently, we went on one of those inflatable things where you have to like climb around and you, you bet you're in the sea. I have got no upper body strength. Jesus, I could not pull myself with my arms. I'd be like as that. soon as I got my legs involved, I was able to climb like mm. absolutely fine. But yeah, trying to just pull yourself by your hands. And most people are not that strong. No. Most people couldn't do a chin up or something like that where they would possibly have the strength to pull themselves out. So I think that's a really, really valid point. So between 2001 and 2015, there were 88 drownings in the canals of Amsterdam, while around 240 people per year are fished out of the River Thames in London. Both cities have a large canal or waterway system right through the heart of them, where, just like Manchester, many of the city's main nightclubs, pubs and bars are located, and it is obvious that these two things do not mix. And then the other point that I've got here is about men might go have a wee in the canal, which is what you said. And I think that's a really valid point is, again, whether it's someone who is pushing people because they've found them in a more vulnerable state because they're in a wee, or if it's just they've slipped while they're doing that. I just thought that was quite an interesting point and I I wanted to say having a wee on the podcast. It disturbs me, that does. Um, (laughs) I like to make you disturbed. Yeah, it really disturbs me. Um, It reminds me of when you say patty. Yeah. For like a burger oh, or something. Off, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, anyway, my point was, yeah, you know, like guys that have been out drinking do get caught short on the mm-hmm. way home. That's really common and, and would need to uh, urinate somewhere mm-hmm. on the way home. So, yeah, I really do think the two are linked. But I th- I mean, you know, going on to my opinion, if, if I can cover it now. Mm, of course. Um, I personally think that there's a mixture here. Mm. So I think there's an absolute mix of young guys going out, getting pissed 
taking a leak in the canal and just losing their balance. That kind of stuff, unfortunately, mm-hmm. happens all the time. It happens on motorways or busy roads when people try and cross the road when they're a bit drunk. Yeah. Their inhibitions are lowered, their judgment's gone, the common sense has gone out the window. So we see lots of accidents when drink is involved. So I think there's definitely that going on. I don't think suicide at all, but I do think that there is something more sinister at play. And I think cases like Stephen Port have shown us that there are people out there deliberately targeting mm. sections of society and they are quite successful at doing so. And whoever's doing this, if they are doing it, I don't think they're responsible for all of these deaths, but they might be responsible for some of them. And they are obviously very good at what they're doing and they're getting away with it. Mm. And we've seen rubbish investigations before, like Stephen Poor in Barking, where Barking police were just atrocious at that investigation. And he could have actually carried on and on and on had he not been so bloody stupid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, David Wilson, the chair from Manchester Water Safety Partnership, said, I suspect that a number, a significant number of these deaths are alcohol related. Exactly your point and exactly the point that a lot of people have made. And it's it's not in the case of like victim blaming whatsoever it's just unfortunately when you're drunk you might have more accidents yeah that's a fact it is but i do think that that you know no pun intended but that muddies the waters mm-hmm. Absolutely. i think people people could easily blame it all on that yeah and then that's quite an easy excuse and i think yeah quite a big proportion of these deaths will be alcohol and water related in that basically the two don't mix mm. But I do think there's going to be a handful there that have got more suspicious background to them. Yeah. Greater Manchester Police has completely rejected any suggestions of foul play. There is no evidence at all to suggest these deaths are linked or were suspicious, insists Detective Chief Superintendent Russ Jackson, head of Greater Manchester Police's Serious Crime Division. That is a long title. He said, we have worked with Manchester City Council to understand factors which might contribute to people losing their lives in the water. Lighting, safety barriers, as well as, in some cases, alcohol consumption. The last thing we want is to cause further suffering and upset to grieving families who may be falsely led to believe that there is a linked series of attacks. And I did think that is a very key point. You don't... Not that it's giving that person hope, because there is no hope, sadly. That person has still died, but to take away some of the, I don't know what the right word is, but to take some of that responsibility away from the person who may may have just sadly fallen in and died. So I thought we'd discuss the comments that people shared on our Facebook page. The post is still up and it's still available to comment on, still available to discuss. So come and join us in the group um, or find our page. The post is still there and you can go back and chat to people. I've commented saying... There's not going to be any other comments sort of read out, but please keep chatting because I think it's a really interesting sort of discussion to have. So Hacks said, I'm not sure yet if it's fact or fiction. I'll wait till the end of next episode before making my mind up. Get in touch again then. Let us know uh, if you've had any more thoughts. Yeah, there's a few more things to think about, I think, with this part of the episodes. Laura said, it can't be a coincidence. There are too many cases of people ending up in the canal. Why aren't the police looking at the possibility of it being a pusher instead of them all being accidents? It's an odd one, but without CCTV, we'll never know for sure unless he or she gets sloppy or someone else witnesses it. It's a good point, though. They could get sloppy. They could also get quite arrogant with it and maybe start taunting the police. We've seen that historically. Andy, No Remorse Podcast, said, I'm not buying the serial killer theory at all, and I'll tell you why. First, the method is elaborate and potentially inescapable to the victim, who are, by and large, fit young men who are rarely victims of crime. So, any survivors? Second, what's in it for the killer? Is it a power control or sexual motivation? Might it be a bit difficult in the pitch dark? Why is there no CCTV footage of these men being coerced to the canal? Were they robbed? Have safety measures been improved? If so, what effect has this had on similar deaths? Yeah, some great points Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Emma, I believe it's too much of a coincidence. There have been too many of these to have all been accidents, but I'm not sure it's a serial killer. To me, it's a bit like an urban legend. One person who randomly pushes someone into the water to kill them. And like a lot of urban legends, I think some people will have used that to their advantage and gotten away with it. But I think that the majority would be a bit rarer and the majority of them would be accidents or drunken mishaps. Yeah, I agree with that last bit. 
Vicky said, it does seem far too coincidental to me as well, given how many have gone into the canal. If there's no fence, then yes, they could drunkenly stumble and fall in. I know I heard that happens with the ooze in York, but once the idea of a pusher did come up, I do wonder if someone decided to use that to their advantage, either as a joke or out of maliciousness. Yeah, it's a great cover. Mm-hmm. And if people are already talking about it, you might think, well, I'll get away with this as well. Yeah, you could. Vic said, you know my views on this. I knew two men who would not have fallen in, especially Stephen, who was beaten beforehand. As someone who goes out on regular nights out to Manchester, in certain parts, it's definitely not safe to be walking near the towpaths of an evening. And Vic has sort of shared some of her experiences on Facebook and, okay. and said, actually, the families want to know more. They want to know more information about what happened. Of course. Um, it meant a bit, quite a lot to me, actually, Vic, that it was important to you that we talked about Stephen. I thought that was really nice that you'd reached out and said that because his story is just, that was such a, a strange one. He's He's been away from his family for all that time and how was he paying for his life and his lifestyle? Like, who was helping him at that point? And for the police to say, well, he wasn't beaten up before he went into the water, but his family were committed. It was a very sad one, yeah. Penny said, I wondered how the rate of deaths in Manchester canals per head of population compares to other cities with large canal systems or bodies of water, such as Birmingham, Amsterdam, Venice, Glasgow, etc. I still think it could be coincidental. Some of the deaths may be accidental, some could be suicide, and it could be that some are due to foul play. I know of two friends who have fallen into canals in Glasgow. One was jogging and one was cycling alongside the canal. I have also walked along the canal in Birmingham with some very drunk friends who have almost fallen in. It could happen all too easily. So I've had a look. Amsterdam population is about 50% bigger Mm -hmm. than Manchester. I don't know. We said they'd had about 80 odd deaths in their waterways in in a long period of time. That's really interesting. So they've got twice as many people. Yeah. I also wonder with Amsterdam, how many of those are tourists? True. I'm familiar with the waterways. Possibly. Yeah. I think that's a really good point, Penny. I think that's something to look into is, for example, Birmingham. I'd love to know in the UK UK city. Birmingham is less than 100 miles from Manchester. Mm -hmm. It's got a really similar vibe, similar canal network. Um, Population wouldn't be too dissimilar. I think Mm -hmm. Birmingham's second biggest city, Manchester third biggest city in the UK. So, um, yeah, we should really try and get that information and have a look. I think it'd be really interesting as well, places like Bristol and Bath, which are places that I have gone to to drink in and that sort of thing, where there's also a large body of water there. But have there ever been rumours like that? And I remember Andy was talking about something similar on another Facebook discussion where he sort of said that, there were perhaps rumours at one point, but then they were all discredited. So, And I know those cities and, yeah, I you know, periodically you do hear news items. Mm. And, yeah, it's always young men, again, um, after a night out, they've fallen in, usually in winter, yeah. unable to get out maybe because of the shock of the cold water. Um, but, yeah, I'd he- I hear it periodically. It would be interesting, though, to find out about whether there's any cases of women in these situations as well. And I think if you did a, if you did manage to get a direct comparison between Birmingham and Manchester and it was like 10 more, 10 times more bodies are found in Manchester than Birmingham per kind of like 100,000 population in the city, then that would really tell you that there's, there's something going on in Manchester. Mm. So, yeah, we, we'll definitely try and find that information out and we'll, yeah. we'll try and reignite the Facebook discussion thread mm, with that. I if think it's so. yeah. good to know. Abigail said, coincidences are possible but rare. I do not believe in a motiveless murder. There is always a reason. So I was like, oh, she's gone Ooh, against you. Because I love the concept of a motiveless murder. Mm-hmm. I think this probably is, there is a motive here if there are... Um, if there is somebody out killing people on the canal network in Manchester. But I do love the idea of motiveless murder, murderers, um, who just kind of do it just for the kick of it. Mm. So she continues, there is always a reason. I believe these were thrill kills because the murderer wants to feel powerful like a god. Putting up CCTV along the canal and placing a sign that tells all that the area is monitored with cameras might catch the killer or prevent future murders. And she is right, really, because even with a motiveless murderer, they do have a reason for doing it. So even if it is just for kicks, for the thrill of it, to try and get away with it, to know what it feels like to kill someone, there'll be a reason behind it. So Andy continued with another point. 
Put simply, there is zero evidence to support a serial killer as not one victim had any shred of bruising consistent with a struggle, which would be virtually guaranteed if they had been forcibly put into the water that way. The city of Amsterdam, also famous for its waterways, had 51 incidences of drowning over a three-year period and only one was a result of a crime. This most important point in all of this is that the method of killing has no guarantee of death. So why no survivors? In short, no serial killer unless it can be proven by something other than speculation or rumours. I mean, why push them into the water alive as well? Why not strangle or stab, ensuring death, and then dump them in the water to destroy evidence? You know, like what serial killers actually do. Mm, can't really argue with that. Mm-hmm. But I still feel there's something going on. It's interesting because it's it's really good that we've kind of had this conversation. So I'm not going to then read into the comments that are kind of off the back of this. But there's some really interesting discussions that have come out. And I think the good thing as well with our Facebook group is everyone's been very respectful because it is a very emotive topic and it is something that could be sensationalised. And actually, we have people who know some of these victims and to be able to have discussions where you're talking about something that's quite close to home I think that's very important that you can have that in a a quite a respectful sort of way but I also think people that are interested in true crime they're not I don't know sometimes you get a bad reputation if you Mm. say that I'm really interested in true crime and I find it entertaining learning about true crime People kind of look at you and think you're a bit of a freak. And I really don't think that's the case. I think, if anything, we are the people that are more respectful, Mm. um, that can empathise more than your average person that doesn't have the knowledge that we have and our listeners have. So I'm not surprised by that, that it's respectful. I I wouldn't expect anything other other than that. So what do you think then, Beth? Fuck off and don't call me Beth. (laughs) (laughs) Did you notice I did it on on one of our emails to our patrons recently? Yeah. Yeah, I did. You didn't say anything. I always used to call you Beth, didn't I, at work? He knows it pisses me off. Oh, yeah. Mm. This is a really weird one. When I was researching the cases for these episodes, I've actually changed my mind. So I came into this. um, I like a conspiracy theory. I like a serial killer story. I like to understand a bit more about the motives behind things like this and knowing what's going on in the psyche of a serial killer. I find them fascinating people to kind of learn about. And I don't believe in coincidences, never have, never will. But whilst I do think that certain isolated incidents need to be looked into further by the police, and I think the police have done a shoddy job sometimes, not all the time, but I think sometimes, I don't think there's a serial killer. Do you think that any of these could have been murdered though? Even just one of these people? I think that perhaps um, some of these cases are foul play and that they were perhaps killed for various reasons that need to be investigated, but I don't believe that any of them were killed by the same person. I think that some of these may have been accidental killings where someone's hit on someone and they've taken it the wrong way and there's a struggle and it's gone wrong and someone's fallen in and that person doesn't want to come forward. I think that perhaps with like the bike guy where he was shoved off his bike, I think that is a a crazy person being a bit of a dick. I think that there's multiple explanations and I think that some of these cases need to be looked into, but I've completely changed my mind. I thought Mm. that would surprise you. I do not think there's a serial killer. Yeah, I'm surprised. Mm. Yeah, I'm not necessarily even saying I think there's a serial killer. I just think that... Don't try and copy my answer. No, I'm not. I just think that, (laughs) you know, there's definitely foul Mm -hmm. play. Yeah. And I think that, I I don't know, I, I suppose the theory I keep coming back to is that somebody is getting off on humiliating people by pushing them in Mm. when they're drunk. Yeah. And sometimes those people die. I think what's interesting is you you discuss about a motiveless murderer, um, but one of the comments on Facebook, I think, almost agrees with you, but debunks you at the same time because there is no such thing as a motiveless murder. That is true. Even if they're doing it to humiliate someone, it's because of a power power, power struggle or something like that. I've tried really hard to be factual and unbiased throughout all of this. And I think it's really good that we've discussed all the different options and the different theories. And actually, you can see from our Facebook group, people have got all these different ideas as well. Mm. Yeah, thank you for getting in touch with us. Yeah. Um, If you have any other ideas for any two-part episodes that we could do with a similar Mm. format, then please get in touch with us. Yeah, I did enjoy having the option of getting people involved a little bit. I really liked doing that. That was something that um, the... California Dreaming podcast does quite often and 
um, it's something I quite like. I quite like that you then get a few different ideas because it's just our ideas, really. Yeah, and we're most not of experts. The time. Oh, God, no. I mean, we're nearly experts. <sighs> Shut up, Mark. Uh. <laughs> but we, we've got our ideas and we've got our ideas based on... Where that. we live yeah. and our own experiences. Definitely. So it's limited, of course. Yeah. yeah, but also we like to read about true crime and we like to know a bit more. So I think we've got a bit similar to the people who are in our Facebook group. They're interested in the podcast for a reason. And But I, I know that with, with my interest in true crime, there is a part of me that, you know, it's so terrible what's happened to all of these people mm. that have died. But I can't deny there is a part of me that wants to think that there is this crazy guy out there that is getting off on pushing people into the canal yeah. because I find that idea so interesting. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I started this thinking I was the same and now I just... I think it's tragic. I think it's sad. Um, but I think most of these are tragic accidents and the ones that are foul play need to be investigated, but on an individual basis with more information. Whether you believe these deaths are the work of a killer or not, it has highlighted that there are things that need to be done to protect people, as clearly this is a dangerous place at night. Professor David Cantor, a renowned psychologist who developed the science of investigative psychology from offender profiling, says that the suggestion of a serial killer is rather irresponsible without further evidence about exactly where the bodies were found and the likely causes of death. He said, this is a very large area near places where lots of people get drunk. A more helpful comment would be to question the safety of canals at night. So what are they doing now? They are blocking off certain areas at night and there are new barricades. Police officers are on more patrols around the area to help people feel safer. And the public have been warned about the dangers of not being near the water in the dark. There are still not loads of CCTV cameras and the press coverage is kind of a bit hit and miss. So some people are saying that it's really good and there's been more done there. But then some places are saying that there's not really much in the way and the warning signs are kind of just tacked to lampposts and they're graffiti and stuff. Than nothing. It is definitely. And the um, warning posts the warning posters sort of say danger of falling. So I think that's really clear and key that they're kind of warning people of that. The area Or in, should they say danger of being pushed? Should they? The area in which Charlie and Orlando both lost their lives last year is now being sealed off at night and six public entrances will be shut to the public from 10pm in a move that was described as a first for Manchester that we looked at earlier. And that will be interesting to see what impact that has. Mm-hmm. And the local bars and clubs have also been involved in discussions about how people out at night could be better protected. So I guess that's whether maybe not putting your tables and chairs right next to the water's edge. Although I feel like if someone's falling off like that, that would be quite an obvious thing. So maybe that's better to keep them next to the water's edge because then it's not going to be someone on their own stood there. Yeah, because people just would don't be know. around. But I think one of the things that kind of come, comes back to me mm-hmm. is, and we see it in lots of different cases, not crime, not always crime, quite often not crime, but, you know, groups of guys in particular going on a night out mm-hmm. and then splitting up basically yeah. and making their own way back home oh, guys do when, all the time. when people are really really drunk and i mm-hmm. think i'm not lecturing people but like fucking hell just look out for your mates you know if someone's really know. drunk don't just send them home on their own but we we i used to have we used to go in a group and there was a guy and he would just you just look around and after and he'd just be gone and i think we all he'd know that friend <laughs> i do get it i do get it and yeah, I, I've known people like that, but there are equally lots of times when groups, particularly groups of young lads, go out on the pierce and they just don't really give a shit about each other mm-hmm. and how they get home. Yeah. And then we see people falling into rivers, getting run over. Yeah. I think as well, like we kind of talked about before, we're, like as a woman, you are brought up to respect stranger danger a little bit more probably than a boy like I think boys are brought up to be like tough and manly and if you go on a night out you you don't feel like you're in any danger maybe you might get mugged like that's probably the last you know the worst thing that you would think of when you're a guy whereas for girls it's you hold your keys in your hand so you can stab an attacker in the face if they come near you with your keys you might get raped, you might get mugged, you might get attacked. It's not even just a man. It could be a group of teenagers or women. Like, as a woman, you have so many more things mm. that you think about, yeah. which I then wonder is perhaps why you don't see as many women in these cases, because they probably wouldn't go on their own. They'd probably walk home at least in a pair. They probably wouldn't walk home. They'd probably get a taxi, because it's drilled into you that you don't walk home. 
they're not going to stop to have a wee off the edge of the canal because it's very... I mean, they might do. They might be that drunk, but it's very unlikely. And I do think that perhaps more needs to be done to educate young men about some of the dangers that they do actually face and the worries that could things could happen. Yeah. So there we go. A bit of a different sort of style for us this time. Um, all of the cases were quite short and... I didn't manage to go into loads of detail about the cases. So if anybody has got any further information that they would like to share, please do email us or message us if you'd like it to be private or post onto the Facebook group because it'd be really good to know a little bit more about some of these cases if you've got more information. Um, And continue the discussion if you want to. I'm definitely going to get involved in a couple more of the sub threads. I don't know what the right word is, but some of the comments then had more discussions on and it's really interesting to... Nobody knows the truth. So all of these are just hypothesis and i think it's really good hopefully you found it interesting too um come and join us on all the usual social media platforms and don't forget if you want to support the show financially then you can head over to our patreon page uh just search seeing red and you'll find us um until next time then we will see you then bye